Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak your word to us, that we would hear your word and it would bear fruit in our lives all to your honor and glory. And so we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Please be seated. And if you haven't already, we've got a special kids program. Uh, for those who would like to participate, if you'd head to the back to meet the teacher. <clears throat> when Jesus returns, will you be prepared? Jesus will return and he will put all things right. And he will gather in his people who are saved by his grace, who are adopted into his family, and welcome them into his eternal kingdom. But when Jesus returns, will you be prepared? So last week in our service, we were asked that question. Bishop Frank asked us that question based on Jesus' parable of the ten young women. Jesus, in that parable, is described as the bridegroom who comes, and some of these women are ready, and some were not. And we were reminded that it is crucial for us, as Jesus' followers, to put his word into practice in order to be ready. We need to live out, put into practice in our lives, what he has taught us in his word, the Bible, so that when Jesus returns, we can be prepared. Now, in our reading today, also from Matthew 25, we're encouraged to ask that question again. Now, this time in the parable, the characters have changed. Now, God is the master who goes away on a long journey, and we are described as his servants who put, uh, that he puts to work in his absence. And the way that the servants get to work or don't, the way they put into practice what God has charged them to do or not, displays if they really are God's people or not. When Jesus returns... Will we be ready? So, Matthew 25, a man goes on a long journey. But before he goes, he calls in three workers to his office. And to the first, he entrusts five million dollars. And to the second, he entrusts two million dollars. And to a third, one. That's perhaps a slightly exaggerated inflation, but not all that far off. And he tells each of them to use it faithfully while he's away and that they'll settle up when he returns. And so the first immediately takes that five and goes, puts it to work and earns five more. The second immediately takes the two, puts it to work and earns two more. And the third buries the money in the ground for safekeeping and does no work. When the master arrives, returns back after his long journey, he praises the faithfulness of the one, he praises the faithfulness of the second, and he rebukes the third, takes away what he's been given, and sends him into outer darkness. And at the end of that, we're supposed to say, praise to you, Lord Christ. And Jesus says that in some way, the kingdom of God is like that. It will be like that when Jesus returns. So when Jesus returns, will you be prepared? So let's look at this parable that Jesus tells, Matthew 25. This parable that Jesus says life in his kingdom in some way will be like this. And we're going to look at uh, two different pieces of this. One is what's true of all of these servants, what's true of all of them, and then we'll look at the difference between the first two and the third. So first, what's true of all of them? Well, we see that for all of them, God entrusts 
his resources to them. God entrusts. God doesn't give the resources to the workers. He entrusts the resources to the workers. Uh, They still belong to the master. They're put in the control of the servants to use, but they certainly still belong to the master. That's why in the church we often speak of stewardship, because our role is as stewards of God's resources, not owners that can choose how to use the resources however we want, but rather God entrusts his resources to his people. Now, in this parable, clearly the resources being discussed are financial, but the parable would also include all resources that God entrusts to his people. Our time, abilities, our training, our skills, our physical assets. The resources that God entrusts to his people are diverse. The gifts that he entrusts to us are different. And these three workers, uh, these three workers in the parable, are each entrusted with different resources. Now, it does say that the amounts were given in verse 15. It says, to each according to his ability. The fact is, we have different abilities, and that's fine. But once it's briefly mentioned in the parable that he gave these these amounts according to the person's ability, the amount is then actually not really emphasized again. The point is clearly not about the amount that the workers were entrusted with, but what they did with it. See, God entrusts us with a variety of resources, the amount or the type doesn't matter a great deal, but what we do with them does. We are entrusted with different resources and different gifts as members of God's household. We have been entrusted with time and skills and talents and finances and passion and creativity, and God has entrusted these things to us, to his people, in the the parable language, to his servants, and we need to use them. God has generously and lavishly entrusted resources to us. They're different. We don't all have the same. They're different in type, meaning I'm good at certain things that you're not, and vice versa, and you have things that I don't, etc. They're different in type, but they're also different in amount. We don't all have the same amount of any of these resources, but God has generously lavished on us his resources for us to use for his kingdom. So that's what we see is the same about the situation of all three of these servants. Each of them, while different, is entrusted lavishly with the master's resources and is expected to use them for the master's good. Now the difference. So God, in his grace and his wisdom, entrusts his resources to his people. And the first immediately goes out and starts up a new business Uh, uses that money as startup capital and doubles his, what he has, doubles his cash. The second goes out and starts a different business and also doubles his cash. The third, however, does nothing. He hides the resource in the ground and doesn't do anything with it. Now, when the master returns, he is initially, of course, very pleased. Verse 21 says, he he says to the first, the one who uh, earned five million more dollars, He says, well done, good and faithful servant, which I think would be the understatement of the year. If someone earned me $5 million, I would be very thankful. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
And then in verse 23, the master gives the exact same praise to the one who earned two instead of five. Both of them faithfully used what had been entrusted to them, and they received the exact same affirmation from the master. The master did not say to the one who earned more than the rest, you made more, so you get higher praise. But both of the workers who faithfully used what they received were then given the same praise and commendation from the master. And I find that deeply comforting. In God's eyes, I'm not judged in relation to how well you use the resources entrusted to you. And you're not judged in God's eyes in relation to how well I use my resources. Now, in my own eyes, I do that all the time. I often judge myself in relation to others. Sort of negatively, why can't I be successful like that person? Or arrogantly, look how much better I did than that person. But God doesn't do that. We see clearly in this parable that God does not judge us in relation to how well someone else used the resources entrusted to them. If you will, God does not grade on a curve. But he holds us responsible for how we faithfully use as individuals and as a church together, use the gifts and resources entrusted to us. But the third man in the parable is rejected by the master. And he actually has the resource he was entrusted with taken away from him, and he is sent out of the household. And what we see is not that he tried and failed, but that he refused to try. Or to use the language of our reading from Zephaniah this morning, he was one who was complacent. The one who didn't even try is the one who's rejected. He hid his money in the ground, and he returned his master's money to him, but no more and no less. And you'll notice in verse 24 and 25 in that passage, the man actually begins to criticize and accuse the master as an excuse for his lack of effort. It's your fault, God. That's why I didn't do it. It's your fault. And while the passage does not specifically say this, I suspect that part of the issue was that he would, be, would have been upset when he noticed out of the corner of his eye that the other two got more than he did. Sort of, John got five and Sarah got two and I only got one. And this man then refuses to use the master's resources that were entrusted to him. And then the crux of it all, this man's unwillingness to work, unwillingness to use the resources entrusted to him by the master, shows that there's a broken relationship between him and the master. A damaged relationship with this master has caused this worker to refuse to use his talent appropriately. And that refusal is evidence that this worker is not really part of the household. See, a person's faithfulness or lack of faithfulness is evidence as to whether or not we really are one of Jesus' followers. We, like the three men in the parable, are entrusted with a variety of God's resources, and we are expected to use them for his kingdom work. And we are held accountable for using them in ways that will please God. We are not saved by using his resources. But those who are truly God's people, who are truly saved, will lean in and use what he has entrusted to us. If we back away 
and don't use what God has entrusted to us, then we are dangerously close to being told that we're not really part of God's people, like that third servant. We are not saved because we use our gift, absolutely not. But if we don't use them, if we don't give and use God's resources and, use and give them back to him as he expects, then we begin to look a lot more like that third servant in the parable who was told that he wasn't really part of the household of God. We are called to faithfully use, to faithfully return the resources to God, the time, the skills, the finances, the creative abilities that God has given to us, God has entrusted to us. So what has God entrusted to you that he is expecting you to use? Now the specific resource mentioned in this parable is money. Are you faithfully using your money in ways that please God? Are you faithfully giving back to the Lord and his ministry and work in the world? The Bible teaches that all Christians are to give sacrificially and regularly of our finances to the Lord's work, and we're even given a nice minimum standard of giving of 10% of our income. Are you faithfully giving to the Lord of your finances? Today we're turning in our pledges for what we plan to give for 2021. And I encourage everyone to pledge to give as an act of faith and obedience to God, committing our resources that he's entrusted to us back to his kingdom work. But what has God entrusted to you that he's expecting you to use? Another resource that we have, that you have, is your training and expertise, your abilities, your spiritual gifts. These things that God has entrusted to you specifically to use. So I remember, for example, a woman in a previous church who was a preschool teacher in her day job. And I completely understood her desire not to teach Sunday school when she came on Sundays because that's what she did all week long. But after a while, entirely on her own, after a while, she realized that she had skills in this arena that most people did not have. And so she decided to offer that skill, that resource, that gift um, to the church in teaching Sunday school to young children. And let me tell you, she was fantastic. And she learned that she absolutely loved it because she used a, a gift and a resource that God had given to her to, to give back to him. I remember a man at a previous church who was a very high-level soccer coach. And he offered that skill to use in an evangelistic soccer camp that we ran for kids in the community. I know people that are fantastic with business and finances and who offer those skills to those who need to learn them. What training or expertise or experience do you have that God is expecting you to use? I'll offer one more resource that God is calling you to use. Your presence, yourself, your presence here and among the church. So I'll be honest, I never really thought much about this before I became a pastor because, honestly, I'm selfish and I think about myself most of the time. But I have never really thought about how much my presence changes the church. When we faithfully show up and participate and smile and sing, it changes everything. But it is so easy for us to say... No, I'll just bury that resource in the ground and not use it. 
It's not the way I want it. It's not quite my desire. It's at the wrong time. Any of those sorts of things. And it's easiest for us to say that and then just pull away. Now, I will tell you that in every single church I have ever worked in, and yes, Holy Cross is included in that, in every church I have ever worked in, especially in times of transition, though it doesn't have to only be that, I have heard people say exactly this, my friends aren't here anymore, or there's no one like me here anymore. And so people pull back. But the reality is that in every single instance that I am thinking of, in every single one of them, what actually happened was people all leaned back at the same time. And so instead of coming faithfully and participating and engaging, they all just stepped back at the same time, and the result was, as sort of a net change, was a huge difference. And so no one actually left, they just kind of leaned back a little bit, and instead of participating every week in every midweek Bible study. They did it half the time or something like that. But the result was that the joy and excitement and energy was diminished. And I cannot tell you how many times I have heard people say to me honestly, sort of, see, my friends aren't here anymore. See, the parents with young children aren't here anymore. Whatever it is. But what I see is that one friend came week one and then the second friend came week two and the third one came week three, and each one of them said to me, see, no one's here anymore. When in reality, if all of them just came together, it would have changed everything completely for all of them. What has God entrusted to you that he expects you to use? See, friends, God has lavishly poured out his resources on us. And he's entrusted us with skills and gifts and abilities and passions and finances. And he calls us to use them creatively and faithfully and sacrificially for his work, for his work of his kingdom. And if we do not use them faithfully, then we find ourselves in danger of having the master tell us that we're not really part of the household. If we don't use the resources and the time and the passions and the abilities he's given us, then, as it says, we will not be prepared for his coming. But if we are in relationship with the master, with God himself, then we will joyfully get to work using the resources that he has entrusted to us for the good of his kingdom. And we will await the day when he returns and he will say as it says in our parable that we are invited into the joy of our master so friends when jesus returns will you be prepared amen